I am excited to be with you this morning. I am fired up after being back from vacation. Charity and I, as I said a moment ago, had a good time. And I want to tell you this, as a pastor, when you get back, you want to you preach the fun and exciting messages, especially when you get back from vacation. You want to you hype people up, you want to laugh, you want to have a good time. However, there are times when you're walking through a book of the Bible, as we are with the Gospel of John, that forces you to preach messages that are good for us to hear, but maybe aren't exactly fun to receive. Have you ever been there before where you've been sitting through a message and you're like, this one's for me and this one kind of hurts a little bit? Like, that's not really what I wanted to hear. Well, that's what it is today. It's a message that it might not feel like it's going to build us up, but it's the words of Christ that he intends for us to hear because we need it for our own life. I had a pastor growing up who used to call these spinach sermons. He said, they might not be fun to ear, but you need them for your life, just like spinach isn't fun to eat, but it makes you healthy. This is a spinach message because we're going to be talking about the persecution of the church. If you have been following along for the last several weeks, we've been going chapter by chapter through the book of John. Before I left, we were in chapter 15. This week, we're going to be primarily in chapter 16, and Jesus is in a final conversation with his disciples. He's brought the boys around him. He's within the last few hours of his life, and he's trying to give them the information that they need to be successful when he's gone. He's trying to build them up and encourage their soul and speak to them so that when he's on the cross and he has ascended to heaven, they have some marching orders for what they need to do next. And Jesus took this opportunity to give them some final words. And within this conversation, he gave them a warning that persecution was going to be part of the gig if they were going to be disciples of Jesus. Now, as I said, we're going to be in primarily in John chapter number 16, but because John didn't put chapter and verse there, we did. We really need to start at the end of chapter 15 because it's one long conversation. And so I'm going to be in John 15, starting in verse number 18. It says this, if the world hates you, it hated me before it hated you. So Jesus starts out very encouraging for us. He says, if the world hates you, you got to remember it hated me first. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I have said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, then they would also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sins. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in the law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put some of you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is doing a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask, where are you going? 
But because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, because if I go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they did not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will lead you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, I said that he will come and take what is mine and declare it to you. Wow, what in the world is Jesus talking about? He's giving us a startling revelation here. And here's the big idea of this entire message and of this portion of Scripture. As Christians, we should expect to face a hostile culture towards our faith. Additionally, as Christians, Jesus has an expectation of how we are to face that hostile culture. And the only way in which a Christian can face the hostile culture is with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Those are really the three big keys that Jesus brings out of this passage to his disciples in the last hour. As Christians, there is so much positive about our faith that we feel that everyone should embrace the gospel message. I mean, after all, the gospel message is the good news of Jesus, that he came to save us from our sins, to restore us from our past, to let things get dark inside this room when the light shut off. I'm going to take this as a drinking break right here. The gospel message gets us out of our troubles. It, it's the sight for the blind. It's the freedom for the oppressed. It's heaven promise for us. The gospel gives the hope to the sinner, refuge for the widow, and purpose to the young man, guidance for the young lady. For Christians, the gospel message is obvious and wonderful. In fact, on vacation this week, Knox asked me a really interesting question. We were driving down the road. He said, hey, dad, why does not everybody, proper English, why does not everybody believe in Jesus? And I didn't have an answer for that. In his nine-year-old mind, when he understands what Jesus has done for him, and he understands the ramifications of that in his life, and he understands what the value of church, he thinks that everybody should be a part of that. And indeed, that's how we should all feel. However, what Jesus tells us in this passage is that no matter how wonderful the gospel message is, there will be hostility from the world. Within this passage, Jesus is warning us that hostility from the world, but he's also showing us that there is power to face that hostility. When the culture turns hostile towards the Christian, what is the Christian to do? How is the Christian to face a hostile culture? What are we, how are we to respond in the face of adversity? Well, there's a few things that we can learn from this passage. And the first is this. As Christians, we have to have an understanding that a hostile culture is going to hate the Christian. Our passage starts out very encouraging indeed. Jesus said, if the world hates me, then get ready because they are going to hate you as well. If they're going to kill me, then they're going to try to kill you. I read one commentator that said this, said a cultural put up with idiots. They don't crucify idiots. They crucify people whom they hate. And when Jesus said this, he's within a few hours of being crucified. Make no mistake about it. The people in Jesus' day, the world in Jesus' day hated him. And he understood that their rage and their anger was going to be turned to his followers once he ascended into heaven. 
We saw several months ago when Afghanistan, the government, fell to the Taliban fighters. In that moment of watching that, there was sorrow that went into my own heart because I understood that there were believers in that country that were about to face severe persecution for simply believing in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Pain was coming their way. Suffering was coming their way. And it was coming their way because what they believed ran against the grain of a hostile culture that was taking over that country. In America, we've been shielded from the worst of persecution. Let's be frank, as Christians in America, we don't face persecution. When you start looking around at the stories around the world and throughout Christian history, the church has been filled with people who have been murdered and tortured, burned at the stake, excommunicated, beheaded for their faith. As I read this week in preparation, one person said, our family tree is filled with executions. And that is so true. Because the founder of our faith was executed. Many of his followers have been as well. This is not something that has just happened in history long ago. Even today, there are around 8,000 Christians a year that are killed for their faith. There are documented 111 countries that are hostile towards Christians. And something like 100 million believers face real persecution around the world today. In North Korea alone, there are somewhere estimated between 50 and 70,000 Christians who are in detention camps for their faith in Christ. And if you're ever interested about these statistics, you can look at a ministry called the Voice of the Martyrs, which was founded by a gentleman by the name of Richard Warmbrand, who, if you're familiar with, grew up in Romania and was a pastor when the government fell to the communists under, after World War II. Warmbrand was a target of the government for his refusal to recant his faith. He spent a total of 14 years in prison being tortured. Ultimately, he was ransomed for $10,000 and escaped to the United States where he testified before a congressional subcommittee in 1966. This is, uh, this is public record. You can read his testimony online. His testimony is famous because Warmbrand removed his shirt after he testified to show the congressman the scars on his body where he was burnt alive with, uh, with hot irons. He would tell stories of being tortured and how he'd have to listen and they would crucify cats and throw them into the prisons themselves just to torment the prisoners. They would play recordings of women being abused and raped and tortured and they would start thinking that was their own wives. It's demented, it's evil, it's satanic. And yet Richard's story is common story for so many of our brothers and sisters today and throughout the history of our faith. Now, before we go any farther, I think it'd be really important to define the world. Jesus said the world is going to hate you. Now, that's an interesting thought. What is the world? Obviously, we know Jesus isn't talking about the rock floating through space. He's talking about people. But, but what constitutes the world? Here's what the world is. The world is a human systems and organizations that are opposed to the plan, the purpose, and the work of God. A good example of the world from Scripture would be the Tower of Babel, where people gathered together to build a tower towards heaven, and they wanted to build that tower for one reason, one reason alone, in opposition to God. And here's something we have to understand about human nature. All of us have a rebellious tendency towards our Creator. We see this as we raise our kids. We understand that all of us naturally have a slant against authority. That's why when you tell your kids to do something, one of the first questions they will ask is, why? Why do you want me to do that? Because I said so, but why? Because I'm the boss, and I want you to do, I want you to put your shoes on. We got to leave. But why? Because you can't walk bare through, through, through Walmart. They have a sign on the door, right? 
We don't like authority. And as a result, if we're aware of it or not, we naturally rebel against the creator. According to Jesus, you're either part of his kingdom or you're part of the world. You're a part of the system of the world. You're with him or you're against him. So when I say the world, I'm not necessarily talking about all people or a specific group of people. We're not necessarily talking about a government system. We're definitely not talking about a political party. The world, human culture is the system of humanity, the slant of human nature is what we are referring to. And that nature never submits to Christ. That's why we need a rebirth. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, how do I get to heaven? And he says, you have to be born again. Why? Because the old sinful nature never submits to God. It's always opposed to God. We need a rebirth, a spiritual renewal in our life. The reality is many people in the world will come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. They will find salvation. However, we cannot develop resentment towards the people in this world because they're the ones that we're called to reach. And many of those individuals will come to know Christ. Why does the world hate Christians? Well, Jesus tells the answer. The world hates Christians because the world hates Jesus. Since, as you know, we've been following the book of John, since John chapter number five, when Jesus healed the man at the pool, the Jews sought to kill Jesus. And now they're within hours of getting their wish fulfilled. How could the people in Jesus' day hate Jesus for all the good things that he did? That's kind of an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, we could make a list of people that would be easy to hate. We can make a list of people that are irritating to us. We can make a list of people we don't like, and we could fill that list very quickly. But I would be surprised if any of us would put a miracle worker on the top of the list. I mean, this guy was walking around. He was healing people. People were hungry. He multiplied bread and fish. People needed wisdom. He was able to encourage them. They couldn't find anything that he did wrong. In fact, as we'll read in a few pages over, they have a, you know, a kangaroo court, and they're just trying to bribe people to say something bad about the man. So what is it about this guy that they did not like? They didn't hate him for what he did. They hated him for who he was. Remember in John chapter 10, here's what uh, it says. The Jews are again angry at Jesus, and it says in verse 31, and the Jews picked up the stones to stone him, speaking of Jesus, and Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works. From the Father, which of these are you going to stone me for? So he's like, hey, I've been doing all this good. Which one are you going to kill me for? And the Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself to be God. There it is. It wasn't Jesus' message. It wasn't his works. They hated him for who he was. They hated him because he was God. The world, human nature, hates God. Jesus made it very clear in verse 24 that they gazed upon God, and yet they hated him. So unfortunately, there was no ignorance in their hatred, and there was no excuse. Now, I'm going to say the next part very slowly, because it's really important that we catch this, because if we miss this, that we miss everything Jesus is trying to say. Jesus said, look, I did all these good works in front of them, and they did not believe, so they're guilty of their sin." What is the sin that Jesus is referring to? He's like, they hate me. I've done all the things. Now they are guilty because of what I've done in front. What is their sin? Their sin was not believing in Jesus as God. See, the reason why the world doesn't want to believe in Jesus as God is because believing that truth means that we have to leave our life of rebellion towards God. The moment we come to Jesus and we say, you are God, what that means is his way for my life is right. My way is not right. 
What that means is he gets to dictate the course of my life because I'm saying he's Lord and I am no longer Lord of my life. And so for us to make that confession, it's laying down the arms. It's surrendering to Christ. It is giving up the fight to do what we want the way we want to do it. And our whole heart is to make ourselves happy. So it's very difficult to come to Christ and say, you know what? You're right. I'm wrong. How many of you, your spouse has a hard time saying they're wrong? Do not raise your hand. All right. We don't have time for all the marriage counseling. None of us like to admit that we're wrong. And so when we have to come to Jesus and say, I was wrong in how I lived, you were right. It's very difficult for us to do. The world will not believe in Jesus because they do not want to leave their life of sin. This is something the world, the sum of human nature, will never do. The world isn't against morality. They're not against values. They're against the lordship of Jesus because lordship means I don't get to live for me. I have to surrender control. And that's something that hostile rebels don't do. Hostile rebels don't do that. Verse 20 tells us that as believers, we will not be treated any better than Jesus. Well, isn't that good news? So when we say yes to Jesus, we're saying yes to the pattern of Jesus. And we're saying no to the pattern of the world. We are drawing a line in the sand. And we're saying, I'm going to live like this guy. And since we identify with him, that's, that's not good because the world says, well, if we don't like him, we're definitely not going to like you. That's why we don't like Texas fans, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I was sitting there debating, should I say that or not? Although as a Sooner fan, I'm just bitter this morning. I will be praying about that later. Sean and I are going to start a support group. Anybody's welcome to come. But that's interesting, isn't it? We associate a group of people together. Now that's kind of a small just play on words, isn't it? During the college football season, we like to have fun banter among each other. But we do start lumping people together, don't we? Now, on a cosmic spiritual level, that's exactly what happens when we say yes to Jesus. We're drawing a line in the sand. And we're putting ourselves on the side with Jesus. And Jesus said, they're going to hate you because of me. They're going to hate you because of what I stand for. There's a sediment in American culture right now especially among Christians, that is frustrated that the government nor the culture value what we value. Additionally, there's frustration that legislation tends to conflict with our, our faith. And it's okay to be a little bit frustrated with that, but frankly, we do need to get over that frustration a little bit and understand that this is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. The world never submits to the pattern of Christ. If they did, they would be believers in Christ. Furthermore, we need to understand that things are going to get far worse than they get better. And third, we need to understand that we don't face nearly the difficult treatment that our brothers and sisters around the world face. We need to really evaluate when we say yes to Jesus what that means. We cannot follow a crucified Savior and not expect to face a cross. We face a cross without bitterness in our hearts, without revenge in our hearts, without hatred in our hearts. See, it's not just about facing a cross. You have to face it the way that Jesus did. And when they hated him, he loved them. And when they slapped him in the face, he didn't retaliate. I mean, I want you to think about the self-control that must take for Jesus. I mean, let's be honest. If he followed the course of human nature, and they are crucifying you and murdering you, 
and you with the thought in an instant could just make them go splat, most of us would pull that trigger. We would do that. We would have that thought, I'm done. And he died for these people who hated him. So if we really want to follow, figure out if we're followers of Jesus or if he has changed our hearts, the best way for us to find out is the moment that we're being mocked, we're being ridiculed, and we're being persecuted, how we respond to our adversaries tells us exactly what Jesus has done in our heart. And that's difficult to do, is it not? We have to check ourselves consistently to see if we're facing a hostile culture and we're still portraying Jesus. Because it's not just that we face it, it's how we face it that matters. So how do we face a hostile culture? First, we have to understand that as Christians, we will be hated. Second thing we have to understand is this, that the hostile culture will excommunicate us. See, Jesus warned his disciples that the cost of the hostile world was that they were going to be kicked out of the synagogues. Now, that doesn't sound terrible for us. We get kicked out. We don't have to go back there anymore. But we have to understand the culture of this time. Being excommunicated was being kicked out of your way of life. It was everything gets upended. It's not just that you can't go to church anymore. It's that everything that you knew, that you loved, that you were familiar with was gone. This would have been terrible to endure. Imagine you're a young man. You intend to marry this young woman. Now you're excommunicated. Not happening. That job that you had that you really enjoyed, supporting your family, you lose it. The friends that you associated with, they don't want you anymore. The community that once encouraged you is no longer there. It's over. There is a separation from everything that you know, everything that you love, because you have been chosen to forsake the world. Now, Christians should never instigate this. We are always to show love, but the world will excommunicate believers from what we know and from what we love. This is not the current cultural reality in America. It is around the world, but the question is, if it became our reality, would we still say yes to Jesus? It would benefit every single one of us as believers to push pause and ask ourselves the tough question, if I lost everything for my faith, would I still respond to Christ? Jesus faced the cross, how would I respond if I was put in that same position? Because we don't get to dictate if that might not be the outcome for our lives one day. There are terrible, terrible accounts. Men being tied up, watching their family being tortured. All you have to do is say you don't believe in Jesus, we'll stop. And somehow they had the resolve to hold strong. How do you do that? That's what real excommunication looks like. Can I be honest with you? I don't know if I have the strength to do that. I wish I did, but I'm like you probably. I'm a fighter. I don't like watching my family particularly be abused or taken advantage of, let alone in the extreme. Do you have the strength to do that? Because I don't know that I do. You know what? I'm not sure that they did either. So how do you face that? Imagine just for a moment, by God's grace, you were born here and I was born here. But what if we were, two, three months ago, believers in Afghanistan? This is their reality. This is the reality for the believer in China. This is the reality for the believer in North Korea. This was the reality for the disciples. This was the reality for Jesus. How do you do that? And the reality is, we don't have that type of strength. And Jesus knew this. He knew that in our natural, we were unequipped. And this is why he said, 
I'm going to send you my spirit. You see, we tend to read these verses as two separate things. But Jesus puts this together in one, in one conversation. He said, your hearts are filled with sorrow. I mean, what would you do and what would be your response if Jesus descended down here right now, looked you in the eyes and said, hey, guess what? You're about to lose your job. You're about to lose your house. And they're probably going to kill you. Fear would come into our hearts. Sorrow would come into our It would be a natural response. He said this, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I go away, the helper will not come to you. We have, a, we have a hard time wrapping our mind around this, but Jesus is saying, look, even though you're facing this hostile culture, it's going to be to your advantage that I go away because the helper is going to come and he's going to live with you. The Holy Spirit equips us to face the hostile culture. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can help us face the hostile culture. In verse 26 and 27, he says this, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Notice the finality of Jesus' word. He's like, you're going to stand strong, boys. You're going to be fine. The Holy Spirit's going to help you bear witness. I know you're feeling sorrow right now, but trust me, it's to your advantage that you go away because I know when the Spirit is with you, you will be able to stand strong. In Matthew 10, 19 through 20, Jesus told them this. They said, look, when, you are, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you will speak or what you will say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your father speaking through you. See, sorrow and anxiety can fill our hearts when we realize the calling to face a hostile culture. And we have it easy. But here's the thing. Even if we had it hard, we have to trust God that his spirit will help us and sustain us and strengthen us in the hour when we need it. And our flesh, we will never be able to stand up underneath that kind of pressure. Maybe some will be able to hold out. I don't know if I could be that person. But here's what I do know is that God promised that his spirit is an advantage to me. So in that hour that I need his help, he's going to help me to stand strong. You've seen that in your own life. There have been times when you face that terrible doctor's report and somehow you still had joy because you knew that God was with you. There was times when you were in desperate place of need and yet you still had faith because you knew God was with you. That wasn't your nature. That was the spirit empowering you to walk out as a witness for for him, knowing that he's with you and that he's going to strengthen you. In John 16, verse 6, Jesus said this. He said, look, I told you that sorrow is coming, but it's to your advantage. We hear about potential struggle. We have to know that we are better off with the Spirit with us. This is how we face a hostile culture, with the Holy Spirit empowering our lives, guiding our steps, and comforting our hearts. Notice what Jesus said about the Spirit. He said, look, He's the spirit of truth. He's going to remind you of your words. He is the helper. He's the comforter. Those are all things that we need every single day in our life. We need constant reminders in our life that Jesus is there holding us with his crucified hands. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit. And that truth should bring calmness. It should bring peace. It should bring resignation to our souls that everything is going to be okay. It's for our advantage that the Holy Spirit walks with us. You see, there was two options. Jesus could have stayed on earth, 
or he could send the spirit. And Jesus being Jesus, knowing all things said is better that the Holy Spirit empowers you because he can be with you and he can be among you. He can be in you. My spirit dwelling inside of you is to your advantage than me being here. And here's the thing we have to see then. Jesus left us better than he found us. And we can be thankful for that. We can put our hope in that. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is now living in us and walking among us and empowering us to fulfill the will of the Father. Jesus is saying everything that you need for your advantage is going to be with you. Notice what he says. He says, I will go to the heaven. He says, the advocate will come to you and it will be for your advantage. When he comes, he's going to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be a witness to hostile rebels about Christ. The Holy Spirit convicts the error of the non-believer, and he convicts his heart that Jesus truly is Lord, and he shows him that when he stands with Christ, that there is no judgment. Therefore, as disciples, we have to be willing vessels to allow the Holy Spirit work through our hearts. I want to close with this if the worship team wants to come back. What we know for sure today is that without walking with the Holy Spirit in our life, we will never survive a hostile world. Let alone will we be effective to win the lost. Think about all the things you can do without the Holy Spirit in your life. You can go to church without the Holy Spirit in your life. You could probably suffer through one of my sermons without listening to the Holy Spirit in your life. You might even be able to throw a few dollars in the offering plate. You might be able to attend a church event. Might even volunteer. You can do all of that under your own ability without the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you what none of us are capable of doing without the Holy Spirit. Truly loving the antagonist the way that Christ loves us. Let me tell you what else we can't do without the Holy Spirit. You can't move your family around the world to be a missionary without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You know what else you can't do without the Holy Spirit? You can't sacrifice every week to disciple a new believer. You know what else you can't do without the Holy Spirit? You can't give when there's very little left. You can't plead with unbelievers to repent. You can't stand and face persecution without the presence of God empowering you. The only hope for a hostile world is for spirit-filled Christians. The only hope for your family is a spirit-filled believer. The only hope for our country are spirit-filled Christians walking in the fruit and the power of the Holy Spirit shining light towards Christ. Jesus said to them, he said, I have many things to tell you, but you can't bear it right now. Jesus knew he had maxed out their capacity and their limit of what they could hear in that moment. But he said, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. And it's amazing to watch how these guys walked in truth. It's amazing how they shifted and how they were able to walk and face unbelievable persecution. You know, with a message like this, it'd be tempting to tell a lot of stories about martyrs to inspire us. And trust me, there are a lot of them out there. Countless stories. History books are full of them. However, that'd be no value to us because what we need is we need the word planted in our hearts and we need it to be empowered with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in verse 20 and 22, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. 
But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Verse 33 says this, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There's a movie that I've referenced a few times. It's a real powerful movie. I, I, I tend not to watch Christian movies because I just don't like them necessarily. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just... But there's one that was really good that was done several years ago. It was called Paul the Apostle of Christ. And it didn't get a lot of traction. I don't know why because it was a fantastic movie. It was really good. If you haven't watched it, you should. The storyline is basically this guy was, in real life, the writer of this movie. He was reading his Bible and he was in 2 Timothy. And it's a letter from Paul to Timothy. And he's just trying to encourage him before Paul's martyred. And Paul says, Luke is the only one here with me. And this guy, that struck him. He's like, this guy who had this massive ministry. He's within the last hours of his life encouraging his protege. And there's no one there to encourage him. So he started looking into the history of how Paul died. And he basically took that line. He said, I wonder what Paul's last hours were like. We know that Luke wrote the book of Acts. So took a little creative liberty and assumed that perhaps Paul told him his life story before he died. And that's how we got the book of Acts. Well, anyways, in this book, in this movie, rather, Luke is there uh, in prison. He snuck into prison to see uh, Paul. He ends up getting arrested himself. And he's in there with other believers. And he had heard Roman centurions say that the next day they were going to execute some believers in the games. So now he's in this prison cell with all these other believers, men, women, children. And they're, they're scared. You can see the sorrows in their heart. And they're asking him, hey, what's going to happen? You, you were in the room. What did they say was going to happen? And Luke looks at all of them, he says, tomorrow's going to be games. And they all gasp, and you can see the fear and the blood drain from their face, because they knew what that meant. They knew that tomorrow they were going to be tortured and executed. And he said, hey, he said, look, he said, there's going to be pain. He said, but then there's the glory of heaven. And he starts talking about that moment. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. He said, look, you're going to have tribulation. He said, but don't worry, I've overcome the world, and you're going to see me. And that pain that you have for a while is going to pass away because it's like having a child. There's pain, but then there's joy knowing that there's new birth. And here's the takeaway for us. What is the reality of what we're about to face? I don't know. Is it possible that someday we face persecution like other people in other countries? Maybe. I don't know what tomorrow is. But what I think it should do is that Jesus' words should weigh on our heart a couple things. It should weigh first this. Where does my devotion really lie? Like if tomorrow for my faith I was transported and I was dropped in the middle of Iran, how would I respond? If I was dropped in the middle of China, how would I respond? If I was dropped into North Korea, how would I truly respond? If I wasn't born here and I was born there, would I still be a follower of Jesus? If all this stuff that we had goes away, if the songs and the, if all that was gone, would I still follow Jesus? That's a question I think every single one of us need to weigh in our own hearts. Second question is this. We really need to ask ourselves, am I living by the power of the Holy Spirit in my life? I mean, I, I get convicted my own self. 
there's things that can just get me wound up and angry and mad. And I'm looking at that and I think, if I get mad over getting the wrong order at McDonald's, how am I ever going to survive? You know what I mean? The Holy Spirit still needs to do work in my heart. We need Him consistently and constantly empowering us. We need to seek more of His Spirit every single day of our life. We need to say, God, we need You to flow through us and wash over us because we need to be Your witnesses. The third thing I think that's really important is we need to understand the reality of what our brothers and sisters are facing. We need to allow that to weigh heavy on our heart. That needs to be a point of constant prayer in our life. That's been something that I've been weak in needs to be something that's a priority in us because we need to realize that there are people facing some serious things and we need to say, Lord, I need you to empower them and to lift them up. If you would this morning, please stand with me. As you're standing today, I want to close this message out just a little bit different. I want to close it out by praying for people in persecuted areas, persecuted churches, people who are facing unbelievable hostility in their life for the sake of knowing Jesus and Today, this is the prayer. The prayer is, God, help them. Strengthen them with your spirit. You promised those to an advantage for your Holy Spirit to be with them. And they need the power of the Holy Spirit. They need the baptism of the Spirit more than we all need it. They definitely need it in their situation. So maybe today you can pray with me that God will watch over them and strengthen them. That God will offer them protection. That God will lift them up. And maybe today you can also maybe make a mental note and say, you know what, I want to make this a point of prayer. Because here's what I do know. If we were in their situation, we definitely want somebody praying for us. Amen? So let's pray today. Lord, we just love you and we thank you. God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that we have been so blessed. Lord, it's a blessing that we don't deserve in our own life. It's a blessing, Lord, that, that we haven't earned, Lord. It's by your grace that you have given us protection. You've watched over us. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we pray first for ourselves, God. Lord, I pray that we would always just weigh the cost of what it really means to follow you. And Lord, that your spirit would just rise up inside of us. And Lord, that it would lead us and that it would guide us, Lord, that it would lead us into all truth and that it would empower us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in our own lives and we need more of you. We need you to sanctify us and cleanse us. And Lord, help us to conform to your image and help us to have your mind in everything that we face. Lord, help us to be more like you and help us to be prepared because God, we don't know what tomorrow brings. And Lord, I pray that we would really weigh what it means to follow you and that we would be willing to give up everything. Lord, we might not face persecution here, but God, you might call one of us to be missionaries over there. You might call one of us to give up things that we have here so that we can help someone else. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a resolve in our own hearts, a peace in our own hearts. Holy Spirit, we give you freedom to guide our lives. But Lord, we also pray especially for our brothers and sisters in other countries today, God, who are facing just unbelievable suffering and hardship, Lord, for you. God, something that we don't understand, something that we struggle to wrap our mind around is their reality. And Lord, we just pray today that your spirit would empower them, that would lead them in truth, and that it would comfort them. God, we pray for comfort on their life. We pray that your, your, your hand would, would be with them to offer protection and strength and encouragement. 
But we pray, Lord, that you would give them the mind of Christ so they know how to walk in wisdom and they know how to walk in, in knowledge, Lord, so that they can be your hands and your feet, Lord. We pray that you supernaturally open doors for them and, Lord, that you would offer protection for their life. And, Lord, we pray for strength and faith, God. Lord, some of them are facing without, Lord. We pray that you would somehow be their provision, God. Lord, we pray that you would open doors in their life and you'd make ways to pour out blessing upon them in ways that they can't even begin to imagine, God. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them, and Lord, more than anything, that your joy would rest in their hearts. Lord, we thank you that you're able to do all those things, and Lord, you're able to strengthen us in our moments of weakness. And Lord, we know that there are some of them, Lord, who face unbelievable things. Lord, I pray that they would be a constant point of prayer for our own lives, Lord, that we would remember to lift them up and to watch over them Lord, intercede for them, Lord, that they can walk with you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.